All right, good morning, everyone. Everybody doing okay? How about this beautiful weather outside? Woo! I feel like we should celebrate. The Lord has heard our prayers. It is wonderful. Your power bill is going to go down immensely, I hope, really soon. I've been praying that would happen. Um, but anyway, it's really awesome out there, isn't it? I felt like we should have maybe had church outside today. That would have been nice. That would have been really nice. But anyway, hey, if you're new here, if you're a first-time guest, let me say welcome to you. Uh, I know we welcomed you earlier, but let me add my word to that. And uh, I'd love to be able to meet you in the Connection Point. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, just happy to be able to, to meet you. If you come by that Connection Point after church today, that'd be fantastic. Now, if you are new with us, or maybe if you're a regular and you haven't been for a couple weeks, we've been in this series. It's called The Story. Everybody say The Story. And you probably already know, you figured a little bit out from our, uh, our video we just watched, it's, it's actually a cover-to-cover -cover, uh, chronological narrative. Because normally when you read your Bible, it's not necessarily in chronological order, is it? And sometimes it's hard to understand how the pieces all fit together. And so what we're doing over the next several months is we're walking through cover-to-cover -cover, all the key stories of Scripture, and we're helping you figure out how they piece together. And more than that, we're allowing us to really fix our eyes on the upper story that God is creating, this upper story that God is writing in this narrative. We've talked a little bit about the upper story and the lower story. And that upper story is, is the narrative of the gospel all the way throughout Scripture. We see little glimpses of God's plan of what he's going to do through Jesus, even in the Old Testament, um, through prophecies. And we've even seen it in some of the stories that we've covered so far. And so what we want to do is be able to say, look, the gospel is in every chapter and it's somewhere in every page of your Bibles. We want us to really be able to understand that. But then we've also talked about the lower story. We've talked about some plagues that happened in the lower story. And we talked about a flood and we talked about a serpent that tempted a couple of people that messed everything up for us in a garden, right? And today what I want us to do is I want us to jump in deep to that lower story with the Israelites. God's people, the children of Israel, the Israelites, um, they've been delivered from Egypt, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. But we see them wandering around in the desert, and I want us to look at their lower story and figure out some of the things that we can apply to our life from their story. Does that sound good? All right, let's pray together and we'll jump in. God, we thank you for the chance to open your word. Um, we're thankful for the power that lies in it. I pray that today you would help us to uh, be able to apply this to our lives. And we ask, as always, that you would help us to leave changed and not the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you remember your last road trip? Let me be more specific. Can you remember your last road trip with young children? So, we didn't fly anywhere when I was a kid. You know, we didn't have a whole lot of money. We were taken care of, and we had food on the table and clothes on our backs and a roof over our head, but we didn't fly anywhere. Like our friends that flew when they went on vacation, we thought, wow, they're rich, you know? We drove everywhere, and we drove everywhere in a little uh, Ford Escort. Do you remember those cars? And not even one of the later model ones. I know they don't make it today, but when they redesigned it, it was a little bit bigger. When I was a kid, it was in the 80s. And this thing was small, and my brother and I cr cr crammed in the back seat of that car while we drove all the way from North Carolina down to Florida to visit family, which was a uh, pretty frequent vacation that we took when I was growing up. And I have a new appreciation for what my parents put up with now that I have three young children. Because, see, here's the thing with children. They have no concept of time or distance, do they? They have no idea. Like, we, we took a family reunion trip. We drove up to Michigan uh, a few months ago, and I think we told Carter something like, we have 10 hours left, and he was like, yes, that's not very long. He has no clue, he had no, no concept of time and no concept of distance. Now, they do know something good is coming at the end of the trip, but they don't understand exactly how we're going to get there. They don't know exactly how we're going to accomplish that trip because they're children and we can't hold that against them. But because they can't see what's coming and they don't know how it's going to come out, what happens about 15 minutes into every single trip? What do they start doing? 
are we there yet? They start complaining. And it doesn't end with, are we there yet? You guys have kids just like I do. It's, are we there yet? What's the next one? I'm bored. What's the next one? I'm hungry. Yeah, thank you. I'm thirsty. And then dad, you know, once we fix that problem, what's the next one? I got to go to the bathroom. And it's one complaint after another complaint after another complaint all the way for 18 hours until we got to Michigan, right? Well, here's what we're going to see today. The adult Israelites were a lot like those little creatures that live in the back seat of your car, all right? They, they complained and they griped. They, did, they couldn't see the way. They didn't know what God was up to. They didn't know how God was going to accomplish what he had promised them. And he had promised them something very special, the promised land. It was going to be a place just for them. It was a place, if you've read the story, hopefully you've read the chapter ahead like you're supposed to. It was a place flowing with milk and honey and these giant grapes that were there. They were going to be provided for and cared for. And God had promised it to them. And he had already accomplished part of getting them there. But they didn't trust him. Him, and they began to complain just like we do. And so here's what I want us to do. As we start up today, I'm actually going to go ahead and give you the bottom line. I don't always do this, but I'm going to give it to you right here out of the gate because I want you to remember it when you're taking a nap this afternoon outside on your hammock in this beautiful weather. I want this to bounce between your ears, okay? This is your bottom line. You ready? When you can't see the way, trust and obey. When you can't see, the, I made it rhyme so you can remember it, all right? When you can't see the way, trust and obey. Can we all say that together? You ready? Go. When you can't see the way, trust and obey. Let's try it again, a little more gusto. Let's go. When you can't see the way, all right, let's go, let's go elementary here. Let's do some hand motions. Everybody put your hands out like this. Ready? You're going to remember this. Come on, everybody, come on. Don't, sh- don't, don't like reject your pastor. Come on. All right, you ready? When you can't see the way, trust and obey. Let's do it again. You ready? When you can't see the way, trust and obey. And I want us to think about those words. You're never going to forget it now because you did hand motions. It makes it stick. It just does. That's why we do it with our kids. I want us to think about that for the next few moments because here's the reality. Complaining is a big deal. And if you're honest, and if I'm honest with myself, we all complain way more often than we would like to admit, don't we? I I read an article um, in Psychology Today and it actually gave some stats on how often we complain. Now, I know I'm talking to church people today and church people don't ever complain, do they? Right? No. Christians are the worst, and I'm one of them, all right? We're the worst about complaining about stuff. This is what psychology, this is a secular publication, but this is what the experts say. The average person complains 15 to 30 times, not per month, not per week, per day. The average person complains 15 to 30 times per day. And some of you are like, well, Pastor, I'm actually a little ahead of the curve. I do a little more than that, right? I read another study. It said that you spend about eight minutes and 46 seconds out of every day complaining or being negative. Now do the math on that. Do it real quick in your head. You ready? 53 hours out of every year you spend complaining. I spend complaining. Do the math a little further. Six months out of your life you waste complaining and being negative. Isn't that crazy? That's absurd how much time we as human beings. And again, those are just the averages. That means some are more than that. I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my life complaining to you. I don't want to waste my time being negative and griping and grumbling and murmuring like the people of Israel. And think about the things we complain about for a minute with me. Sometimes they're small, right? 
We complain about the weather, you know, like today it's a great day, but some days we complain about the weather, don't we? We complain about some situation that we're facing that's, you know, minute. Maybe it was on the way to church this morning, and you're like every other family in America trying to get children to church, and you've fought, and you've scratched, and you've clawed, and you've bled, right? You've given your life to come to church, and every stoplight on the way in gets you, right? Or you get behind the driver going 15, coming down Fleming, and you're angry, and you want to pull around them real fast, but you know they probably know I'm the pastor at BCC, right? That happens to me too, all right? We complain about little things. We complain about, now this is a first world problem, all right? First world problem. We all got to admit and laugh at ourselves about this. When you get a cup of coffee at Starbucks, I asked for extra hot, and it was only hot, right? Right? That's a first world problem, okay? We need to be able to laugh at ourselves about that. But we complain about little things like that, and we think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a complaint. Everybody does it. What's the big deal? But we also complain about bigger things in our lives. See, I would bet if we're honest, you've spent some time probably in the last day, maybe last week, last month, complaining about the job that God has so graciously blessed you with. Complaining because you want something different or you want something better. Maybe you've spent some time complaining about your spouse. It's not uncommon. You get together with somebody and they want to start complaining and you got to start having a bash fest about your wife or your husband or whatever the situation might be. Maybe you've complained about a family situation or you've complained about the amount of money you have in the bank or the amount of money you don't have in the bank. And what we're going to see today is as we look at this idea of complaining, it's actually a very easy trap to fall into. It's very easy for human beings to fall into this trap of complaining Because there are many moments in life, just like the Israelites, when we can't see what's around the corner and we don't understand the big picture. See, God has that 30,000-foot view of what's going on in our lives, and we only see what's right in front of our face. That's why the Scripture tells us we walk by faith and not by sight, right? That's exactly what he's talking about. And we don't see what's coming up ahead. And all we feel is the difficulty in the moment, like the Israelites. All we feel is the pain or the discomfort in the moment or the the sadness or whatever it is that you're facing in the moment. But listen, just like God wrote this story that we're walking through to bring us Jesus and allow us to be saved, he's writing a story in your life too. You may not know what's right around the corner, But God knows. He's got the 30,000-foot view, and he's watching, and he's got every step planned. And all he's asking for us to do is not complain when we can't see the way, but do what? Trust and obey. See, complaining is an easy trap to fall into, and the Israelites were absolutely no different with this. As a matter of fact, this is why they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Do you realize that? God meant, this is what God wanted for them, but they rejected it. He meant for them to come out of Egypt, spend a year at the foot of Mount Sinai, where he gave them all of the law and things like that. We've not got time to go into all the details of that, but you can go back and read it, okay? He gave them the law. He made them his covenant people right there in that moment. He wanted them to spend a year there. They talked about what the tabernacle was going to be like. That was the place where God was going to dwell. And then he was going to send them out across the Jordan, take the promised land. I mean, this should have been a few-month journey max. They wasted 40 years of their lives, and many of them died in the wilderness because they complained and they grumbled because they couldn't figure out how's God going to do this. And they griped and they complained and they murmured just like we do. Now look at page 71. This sums up pretty much is the Israelites as a whole the entire time Moses is leading them. Page 71. Now the people complained, everybody say complain, about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. Now the people, think about it, complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. Think about what they've just come through. 
the Israelites have just been rescued miraculously from the most powerful nation in the world. And they walked out with parting gifts. Remember that? They walked out with the jewels and things from the Egyptians for free around their necks. The slaves did. Now the Egyptians changed their mind and started chasing them down. These are the people that saw God protect them by splitting the Red Sea in half and creating dry ground for them to walk across. And then they watched as it all collapsed, perfectly timed on all of the Egyptians. So it killed all of them. These are the people that have already complained once about not having anything to eat. And God rained down manna from heaven for them to eat. He's given them water to drink. At this point in the story, God's leading them around by a pillar of cloud that he existed within, right? And a pillar of fire, okay? The fire was at night, the pillar of cloud by day. This is how he's leading them. They're being led out in the wilderness toward the promised land by the God of creation, the God of the universe. And they have the gall to complain and murmur and grumble, right? It's a lot like us sometimes, right? Like think about your life. How many times has God been faithful to you in some situation where you look back and you're like, oh, why did I, why did I complain? Why was I so upset about this? Because I saw in the end how God came through and he, and he helped me and he provided for me and he cared for me. See, the Israelites forgot that very quickly. They just come off some major mountaintop experiences and they begin to grumble and complain. Now, in this situation, God, when they do this, God calls down fire from heaven and consumes a bunch of them. Someone say, man, that he doesn't do that today. Praise the Lord, right? I would have been gone a long time ago. Woo! But he calls down fire from heaven and kills a bunch of them. He took it seriously. Now, at this point in the story, you would think, if, if I'm in, this, in their shoes, I'm taking my mama's advice. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? I'm not complaining. I'm not going to say nothing. I don't want to be kindling. They didn't stop. Look what they keep doing. You guys ready? Look at page 72. They keep complaining. The rabble with them. Everybody say rabble. They began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started complaining or wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. We had free fish fries in Egypt every Friday night. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Apparently, they didn't care about fresh breath back then. They were leaking it and onions and garlicking it up. But now we've lost our appetite because we never see anything but this manna. Now remember, the manna was the way that God provided for them in the first place with the food. It came down from heaven. They were only able to gather as much as they could eat in a day. And if they gathered too much, they'd try to store it up and it would rot. So he would have to, they had them depending on him daily for this manna. And they said, we're sick of this manna. But they got to the point where they wished they were back in Egypt again. I mean, imagine again, going back in time when they were in Egypt. They had whips on their backs and taskmasters in their ears, making them create bricks in the hot Egyptian sun every day of their lives. And they say, we want to go back to Egypt. We wish that we were back in Egypt because complaining has the ability to get you so negatively focused that you lose grip on reality. Think about it for a minute. Complaining has the ability to get you so negatively focused that you lose grip on reality. They said, we had free fish in Egypt. That's not true. They worked every day as slaves to get whatever food that they were given from the Egyptians. It wasn't free, but they're so worked up, they're so negatively focused that they're complaining and they're grumbling keeps them from having a grip on reality. But did you notice what happened in that passage? So the complaining starts with one group, and that complaining quickly influences another group to start complaining. 
See, the rabble there that's mentioned, they start complaining and they pull the Israelites into complaining too. Now, scholars kind of debate who the rabble are. They were definitely people that caused trouble. Okay, the word rabble actually kind of has that idea behind it. They caused trouble. They were troublemakers. Um, They were instigators, okay? But they kind of go back and forth as to who they were. Some think that they were uh, the product. They were a mixed race people made up of the uh, the Hebrew women, the Israelite women, and Egyptian men. So whenever the Israelites were in Egypt, some of the women, the Hebrew women, had relationships or married Egyptian men, and they had babies. They say, these are the babies. The rabble are the the mixed race people. They're not full-on Israelites like most of them are. Some would say they were just opportunistic or fearful Egyptians. Let me explain what I mean. So whenever all these plagues came down, many of the Egyptians were like, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. This God might come back and destroy us completely. I'm going with these guys. And they left town with the Israelites, and they kind of interwove themselves in with the children of Israel. Others might have been like those people that followed Jesus around for the miracles in the New Testament. They were just opportunistic. They were like, let's go see what this God will do. And they left Egypt and they went with them. But either way, whoever they are, there was a group of people that started complaining called the rabble. And they quickly had others join them in their complaining because of this. Complaining is contagious. Complaining is contagious. And we see it right here and you know it's true in your own life. You see, we as human beings... We're naturally social creatures, and we're influenced by the people around us. Experts call it mirroring. The people you spend time around, you'll eventually mirror them in various ways. It's actually when we uh, see someone's emotion, when you or I observe someone, or we hear someone saying something with emotion attached to it, whether it's positive or in this case, um, it's a complaint, our brains actually try out that emotion internally before we ever say a word out loud. This is the beginnings of where empathy comes from, when you feel what someone else is going on to, and that's part of that mirroring process, all right? But the negative side to that is when you're around people who are complainers, it's easy to fall into the trap of complaining too, isn't it? This is why when you're at work, it doesn't take long for a group to gather in the break room to complain about the boss, right? I mean, the easiest way to make a friend is start complaining. The easiest way to get somebody in your corner is to start complaining, and that complaining is contagious, and the other person jumps in readily. They're excited about complaining. Listen, this happens to me every time I go to the DMV. Every time I go to the DMV. You know how it is. I go in the DMV, and, 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 and I'm impatient, and naturally the DMV is slow because everything the government touches, it messes up, right? I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. Everything the government touches, it ruins, okay? I, that was a complaint. I shouldn't have complained. We're talking about complaining, so forgive your pastor, okay? I struggle with it sometimes too, right? But listen, when you're in there, it's always incredibly slow, and I always think to myself, they're, they're stealing my money right now. And they won't even like let me give it to them. They want me to wait while they rob me. It's just not right, right? That's what I think. And when I'm standing in line, I do exactly what you do. I'm looking around for anybody that'll just make eye contact with me so I can complain. And finally, I see a guy, he's like three people ahead of me, and he makes eye contact with me, and I go, and he does it back. And I'm like, yeah, right, we're vibing here. We got this going for us, okay? And, we, and I said, what's, what's taking so long? Why is there only one person and there's 10 desks? And he goes, yeah, I know, I know. And what happens? I make a best friend and I get invited to his house for Christmas dinner, right? It takes no time at all for complaining to be contagious, right? You get around it, you get around these people that want to complain, and it naturally rubs off on you. But it sounds a lot like what Solomon told us in Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. See, because complaining is contagious, and as we're going to find out in a minute, it's harmful for us, 
We have to be careful the people we spend time with. Listen, teenagers, this is why it is so important the people that you spend time around. Now listen, what I'm about to say is going to sound eerily like what your mom and dad have been telling you. All right, it just is. But the people you spend time around, they affect the trajectory and the attitude you have in life. So if you're spending time with the other teenagers, the other students, that all they do is complain about school and complain about the teachers and complain about their parents and complain about curfew and complain about this and that, listen, they will pull you down and they will set the trajectory of your life as you mirror them because we mirror the people we spend time around. Parents, we're not off the hook. Ladies, listen, those ladies you spend time with and all they want to do is sit around and badmouth their husbands and their kids and their families and their jobs, listen, they will pull you down because complaining is contagious. You have to be so careful with the people that you surround yourself with. And I'll just tell you this, the people that are complaining to you about something, they don't give a flip about you. Seriously. All they want is a listening ear and somebody to join in and make them feel better about their problem. They care nothing about you. So it's probably not much of a relationship anyway, that person that you get around that just wants to gripe and murmur and complain all the time. Amen? Listen, men, how about, how about you guys at work? You want the quickest path to not being successful at your job? Find the 10 or 15% that's in every company and every organization that all they do is sit around and complain about the boss and complain about the new rule and complain about this and complain about that. And, oh, you know, I just came in at a bad time of year and that's why I'm not performing and complaining and complaining. And watch your career go quickly down the tubes as you mirror those guys that you spend time with, right? Every company has them. Every place of business has them. Every organization has those complainers, and we've got to be careful. And I'll tell you this. This is a fact. You will complain less if you're around people who complain less. It's a fact. You will complain less if you're around people that complain less. You might be saying, well, Pastor Brian, what's the big deal? I mean, it's just just complaining. All of us need to vent. All of us need to get things off our chest. That's the way I defend myself in a situation. I complain and I take control of the room with my complaining and my negativity. Here's the reality. Complaining is actually more sinister than what you think. Complaining actually can derail your life. Complaining can derail your life. Have Have you ever noticed the people who complain the most in your life are usually the most unhappy people in the room? Those people that are those serial complainers that can find the negative in everything. Like you could give them a million bucks and they'd be like, well, why didn't you give me a million and one bucks? We all know those people, right? They're the people that are the most unhappy in the room. They're the people that smile the least. And they're the people that most of the time do not succeed in life. Their family's normally not success in any form. Their career, their their, their business path is not a a success in any form. And, And there's a connection there. See, when you and I complain... Uh, neuroscientists have studied this out, people way more smart than I am. They tell us that our brains are so efficient that they actually create shortcuts so that you can more easily do that again the next time. Now, that happens with anything you do. So the good things you do, your brain's trying to create those shortcuts as well. But listen, when it, we're talking about complaining today, and I know none of y'all struggle with it, so you can just talk, tell your friend about this message, okay? But listen, like when we complain... When I complain, your brain is creating shortcuts. And so what's happening is you are negatively rewiring your thought process every time you complain or you grumble and you murmur. And we all know those people that complain and grumble and murmur, they spend their days doing that. They're not not just like a one-time complainer. Most of them are serial complainers. They can find the negative in anything. And because of that, they set themselves up for failure, and they rarely reach a level of success that they would like to reach. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that person, do you? I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the one that, that robs myself of reaching my full potential because of negativity and complaining. 
Now, here's the thing in the story today. We could definitely say uh, Israel was setting themselves up for failure by complaining and being negative. But their complaining actually robbed them of not just their full potential, but it robbed them of a blessing too. Now, turn to page 77 with me in your, in your story Bibles. Page 77. Now, the section we're about to read as you're turning there is on the heels of people complaining to Moses about going into the promised land. So they had sent spies in, and the spies came back. And some of them were excited about going in, some were not excited about going in. Well, the people came up in this major this, uh, outrage, and they got really worked up, and they even talked about stoning them. I and mean, they were nuts. They were crazy. And, and, and they said, we need to find somebody that will take us back to Egypt. We'll give us a leader that will take us. That's literally what they said. Take us back to Egypt. And, and, and some of the spies were saying, Joshua and Caleb, who we're going to talk about next week, they said, no, 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 we can take this, we can do this. But many of them did not trust God. They didn't, uh, they didn't think that God could come through and do what he had promised that he would do by giving them the promised land. And so God responds to them in this passage we're about to read. And he's saying, if you can't trust and obey me, and you just want to complain and doubt me, here is what's going to happen. Look, look at page 77. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Now, Moses had asked if God would forgive them, and he says he does, but there's still a consequence. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one, everyone say not one, not one of those who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one, everybody say not one, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. See, because when they couldn't see the way, they didn't trust and obey, and they instead complained, all of them, 20 years old and older in that group of the Israelites, would die in the wilderness and never receive the blessing of living in the promised land. One of, the, one of the reasons that God called them out of Egypt was to give them that land of promise that he had promised to his people in that covenant. Because of their grumbling and their griping and their complaining and their negativity, they would not be able to go in and take hold of that blessing. It says everyone 20 years old or 20 years old and older would die. And this is why I said earlier they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It was because of them. And so instead of them getting the blessing, their children ended up inheriting the blessing of God. They would never experience the blessing of a life in the promised land. Think about your own life for a minute. How many blessings have you robbed yourself of? Because instead of responding to God with trusting him and obeying him, you just complained and you grumbled about your situation. You took your focus off of who God was and what he had done and you just grumbled and you complained and you missed out on some blessing or you missed out on some opportunity or maybe it was just this. Maybe you missed out on getting to know Jesus a little bit better in the midst of your difficulty. You realize every time you go through a difficult situation, that's an opportunity for us to get to know the character of God even more. It's, it's, it's a moment for us or it's a season for us to draw in close to him, but we don't get to draw in and experience that intimacy if we sit back and complain and grumble until it's over. See, how many times have you robbed yourself? How many times have I robbed myself of what God had for me? And he has amazing things planned for us. Because like the Israelites, we sit back or I sat back and I grumbled and I complained. I didn't receive the plan that he had for my life. I think God would want to tell us the same thing he's trying to tell the Israelites. When you can't see the way, trust and obey. When you can't see the way, when you don't understand, when things seem difficult, when there seems like there's no way out, trust and obey, which leads us, as we close here, to the biggest reason why complaining is so toxic and so harmful. Because complaining attacks God's character. Complaining attacks God's character. Look at the bottom of page 72. 
The Lord said to Moses, tell the people, the Lord heard you when you wailed and complained. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you're going to eat it. You're going to eat it not for just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month you're going to eat it until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. He says, I'm going to give you so much meat, you won't be able to stand the smell of it. It's going to make you want to puke. But look at what he finishes the verse with, and this is the key to the whole thing. Because you have rejected, everybody say rejected. Because you've rejected the Lord who is among you. See, this whole message, you might have been thinking, Pastor Brian, why did he deal so harshly with these people that complained? Why did he call down fire? Why did he send plagues? There's another part in there where he sends plagues to get them. There's, there's many thousands of them that don't get to go to the promised land because they complain. You say, well, Pastor, why did, why did he deal so harshly with them? Why, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, we all need a place to vent. We all need to be able to complain. That's how I take control of the room. God knew what was fueling their complaining words. It was a heart that didn't trust him. See, At its core, what complaining says is, God, I'm not thankful for what you've given me, and I don't trust what you're going to do for me. Think about that. I'm going to say it again. Complaining says, I'm not thankful for what you've already given me, and I don't trust what you're going to do for me. And it attacks the loving care of our God. See, he had done so many incredible things for the, the children of Israel, but they forgot. They leaned on their own understanding and they leaned on their own assessment of the situation. They said, no, this, this isn't going to work. We need to take, get a leader that will take us back to Egypt. They got so focused on the difficulty in their lower story that they forgot God, the sovereign God of the universe, is writing an upper story here. And we can trust him and we can obey him. See, their words weren't just words. Their complaints weren't just moments of venting like we like to think they are. Their words reflected their hearts. Their words reflected their hearts, and their hearts said, God, I'm not thankful for what you've given me already. I'm not thankful for what you've done for me already. I'm not thankful for the way you've come through for me already, and I don't trust what you're going to do for me in the future. And church, that's exactly what we do every time we complain. Big, small, medium-sized, DMV, weather, family, spouse, job, It's saying, God, I'm not thankful for what you've given me, and I don't trust what you're going to do for me. That's what's at the heart of it. It says, God, I don't trust your care. I think I know better. I think I know differently. I have a better plan, and I'm not trusting your plan for my life. Listen, church, hasn't God always been faithful to you? Like when you've you've operated with our bottom line, you said, you know what? I can't see the way in front of me, but I'm going to trust and obey. Hasn't God always come through faithful? Every single time he's come through faithful. So what I want you to do this week, and what I want you to do for the weeks to come, is I want this to rattle around in your head. When you can't see the way, trust and obey. Say it with me, you ready? Go. When you can't see the way, trust and obey. Don't complain, don't think you know better, don't reject God's plan for your life with your murmuring and grumbling and complaining and miss out on the blessing God has for your life. When you can't see the way, trust and obey. Amen? Listen, let me tell you why it matters. You can close your Bibles. Listen to me. When we complain, it actually hinders our ability to reach other people. Do you realize that? When what's coming out of our mouths all the times as believers is complaining and grumbling, 
it actually hinders our ability to reach people. And here at BCC, we have a vision that God's given us for our church. We say it like this, bringing life to our community is our vision. That's our goal. Bringing life to our community. And the day we stop doing that, we might as well just lock the doors and shut it. Because we've become some weird spiritual, social country club, and we're not doing that. We exist here to bring life to our community. And those just aren't like churchy words we put together so we have something to put on a website or in a new visitor packet. The vision of bringing life to our community means that we are sharing the life-giving message of the gospel with everybody we come in contact with. That we are giving them the opportunity to enter into this relationship of trust with Jesus Christ. And every man, woman, boy, and girl deserves the opportunity to come into a relationship of trust with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what our vision says. But think about it for a minute. If all the people you work with and all the people you see at the DMV and all the people you see at the supermarket and all the people at your kid's school, if all they ever hear when they get around you is a bunch of complaining and griping and grumbling and negativity, which we said reflects a heart that doesn't trust God, how in the world can we invite them into a relationship with a God we don't trust? Do you see the connection? It can't work. We can't tell them on one hand, we trust him. You need to trust him too. And then grumble and complain and be ministers of discouragement and negativity on one hand. Right? See, I believe God wants to do big things through our church. Guys, I do. But we got to stop the complaining. We got to stop the negativity. And we've got to chase down that vision with all we have. We've got to trust God and obey God in every single step of our lives. Amen? He wants to do big things. He's already starting it. You might not see it yet. We've got some really cool stories that we're going to be sharing with you soon. But listen, God's doing some incredible things, and we're excited about it. But it's going to take us choosing to trust and obey when we can't see the way. Amen? Can we say that all together again? I want you to go home with this on your lips. When we can't see the way, trust and obey. When you can't see the way, trust and obey. Let's pray. Lord, you're, you're good to us. And God, we're so thankful that you're patient with us. God, so often we mess up, so often we lose our way, so often we lean on our own understanding and we trust in our own assessment of the situation. But God, we know that you are the God of glory, the God of the universe who has called us here. You placed us here on purpose. And we don't want to ruin that. We don't want to ruin the blessing. We don't want to ruin that plan of accomplishing your vision with complaining and grumbling and negativity. And God, under the sound of my voice right now, you're dealing with hearts various people right now that have been just that. They've been negative, complaining, and grumbling, just like the children of Israel. So God, I pray you give them courage to deal with that. God, I pray you give them courage to change and to begin trusting and obeying, even though they don't know what's coming. God, would you help us all that when we can't see the way, we trust and obey. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.